All right, welcome to Chabad House Conversations podcast. It's our second podcast, and I'm here with a member of our community, Leslie Schlenoff, and she and I are going to be schmoozing for the next uh, 20 minutes or so about life, Jewish life. It's Hanukkah. It's the third day of Hanukkah. Tonight's the fourth night of Hanukkah. It's a special time for light, a special time for goodness and happiness and bringing light to the world. And uh, interestingly enough, Hanukkah is the only time in Judaism we have the mitzvah of publicity. So uh, we're doing our publicity here. Me and Leslie are going to uh, schmooze for that a little while. And uh, you're going to learn about her life, learn about us, learn about uh, what Jewish life is like uh, being a mom in Syosset, Hicksville, Plainview, Jericho, New York, and learn from a rabbi also in that place too. You're going to learn about uh, Jewish life a little bit and what makes Leslie tick, her neshama tick, her soul tick. That's what we're trying to get to on Chabad House Conversations, finding out what makes the Jewish soul tick. So, Leslie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Leslie, tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Roslyn Heights, New York. I was born in Manhattan, raised in Roslyn Heights, youngest of four children. Um, My parents were from the Bronx, uh, settled in Queens, and then uh, after my brother was born, who was the third, they moved us all out to Long Island. The Jewish exodus. Yes. From from west to east, going back to the homeland. Yes, of Long Island, of Long Island, <laughs> Island. Heights. Yep, that's amazing. Did you remember growing up in Manhattan, or you, you just? No, I didn't grow up. There. I was just, just born, born there. and there. I was born in Beth Israel Hospital, which oh, I do believe no longer exists as really? a hospital. Yet. Does it really? Not exist. I think it's a medical building, but I don't right. think it exists as the hospital right. that it was. We were all born there. You and your three, yeah, two siblings, three siblings, three siblings, two older sisters, two older sisters, and my brother. brother. So my right. oldest sister is thirteen years older than me, and my next sister is eleven years older than me, and. My brother is eight years older. Right. Very cool. Yes. All right. So now, married to Ed. Married to Ed. Two kids. Two kids. How old? Uh, 12 and 14. My son is 12 and my daughter is 14. So you're, what's your, I know your kids' names, but... Oh, Abigail and Jeremy. Abigail and Jeremy. Yes. So Abigail is... 14. 14. And Jeremy is... 12. 12. Oh my goodness. So her bat mitzvah was last year, and oh, his shame. is next year. Amazing. amazing. I was still riding the wave from hers. That's amazing. And now it's, here we go again. Right. It's a new wave. Yes. It's a new wave. So you've had a, quite a Jewish journey. Yes. Quite a Jewish journey. Yes. And like, I, if I could say, you're like, you're like uh, someone on tour. I would agree. Yeah. I would like agree. going from like Jewish life, like expanding, condensing. So tell me, like, what, what, what was your Jewish life growing up? Okay. What was it like? Um... You know, I, I've kind of said this story a couple times before, but I grew up, you always knew you were in a Jewish home. Right. You had a mezuzah on the door and on the bedrooms, and we had a on door. On the bedrooms, too. That's impressive. On the bedrooms, um, I think. I, you're supposed I, to, I but I'm saying, I didn't grow up right. that way. But yeah. I, <laughs> we had a knock, door knocker that said Shalom on it, and we had Judaica around the house. Really? My mom loved Judaica, and so we always knew that it was there. Um, she didn't really light Shabbat candles, but we celebrated uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Pesach, Hanukkah, um, the other holidays we didn't really talk about, know much about. Um, my brother, out of the four of us, was the only one who was required to go to Hebrew school. Um, my older sisters, it was not something that it was, that it was done in right. the 60s and 70s, you know, I see that my sisters were born in the late 50s, so they're tail end of the baby boom. Right. Girls were not, it right. wasn't really a thing for them. Right. But my brother being the only son, he had to go. And it was second, it was two days a week after public school and once on Sundays. And so he had to go. So we had three days a week? Yeah. 
now it, I mean, I think it's changed because <laughs> children are children are so overprogrammed right. that you know we started in the third grade. Now kids can go optionally in, in kindergarten and first grade, um, but they actually start the official stuff in the second grade. But they only do it two days right. a week, so they start yeah, earlier. It's, it's totally different. It's there are hard. so much extracurricular activities. So Truly, much going on. and I see kids being pulled from it all the time. One of the great debates, which we won't have right now, is: mm. Does supplemental education actually help? Does after-school programs in Hebrew school and Jewish life actually help? It, I like, think it your... would be individual. I right. I made the most out of it. Well, what ended up happening was my brother was bar mitzvahed in 1975. And I thought it was the best party ever. And really? I wanted one. I didn't know what it meant. Right. So my mother said, if you want it, you can have it. You must go to Hebrew school. And once you start, you can't finish because I'm paying for it. <laughs> you can't not finish, right? No, you, you can't. can't yeah, you have to finish. Right. So I was like, okay, you know, what do I know? I was seven. <laughs> and you went in for it. And I went. And it was really, it was really a kind of a drag. And, and, right. I, and I say that because it's like you're tired after school. You don't right. really get it. But I did it. And I really didn't complain. And I had a wonderful bat mitzvah, Beautiful. and you know I had my hair winged back because of the eighties. I looked like Charlie's Angels. It what was year are we talking about here? Nineteen eighty-three. Eighty-three. Nineteen eighty-three. Wow. And um, it was, you know, I did well in in Hebrew school, and I did well at my bat mitzvah. And they tried to recruit me for Hebrew high school, and I said, mm -mm, no, you're I'm done. done. Right. Um, I didn't have that, you know, strong connection. But I don't really, you know, to no fault of my parents, they really weren't prepared. They were children of immigrants. Of it was work, work, work. They my, were. Where are your parents? Where are they from? Where are my they? parents are from the Bronx. Right. Where uh, are my, your grandparents from? Um, Russia, Poland, Poland, and Romania. And one nice. of my grandparents was born here. Sounds like my child mixed with my family too, except two generations probably before your grandparents. Right. And I did my ancestry. It says I'm nine. I don't know why it was like dog. Captain <laughs> obvious. I mean, right. you know. Um, it was 99% Eastern European Jewish and 1% Balkan. A little Balkan in there. A little Balkan. A little, Balkan. Balkan. A little peppered in with the Balkans. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. <laughs> and um, so, you know, they, they did their best. And, you know, I guess past Hebrew Do you think school, it transcended you, like through college and through, like, life? Or it just was like, that was it? And then you picked up again Jewish I life? I think I picked up again. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's only most, because my, most cases. I was, you know, when I went to Syracuse and they have a large Jewish population oh, there. Our first podcaster was also from Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, it Marty was, Cone. there was a lot of, you know, it's, it, there was a lot of, there was, they had Hillel, they had. Did you go? No. They, I got a lot of, um, I was going to say emails. It wasn't email. I got a lot of mailings and a lot of propaganda. Propaganda. <laughs> and I went to one Rosh Hashanah service right. and, you know, every shul has their different tunes for different songs and people didn't know his tunes and so nobody was nobody singing. singing and the rabbi was like, you who everybody sing. I'm like, oh, you who does not belong. And you, <laughs> you who I'm like, mm, no. And I'm like, okay. So afterwards, I mean, like I always knew it was important and I, you know, I always felt it, but it, it wasn't always in practice. So when you know, did we, you first propel into like the trajectory you'd say you're on now? Like what was the, like, um, the, the new pickup? I new think ultimately when I was ready to, you know, skip that whole single life from college until I met, you know, right. until I was starting to get serious about meeting someone and starting a family. And I said, you know, I always hear that voice in my head, my mother saying, you need to marry somebody who's Jewish. And I'm like, oh, mom, I'm like, it doesn't matter who I have kids with. I said, it's, they're going to be Jewish no matter what. And then things started, you know, to kind of change. And I met Ed in on J date, but I had known him in college. You met him on J date. I met him on J. You wow. didn't know our, our I, story. I didn't know. So tell me. Well, I met him in college at a fraternity party, and I we went know. out once, yeah. and then um, we 
met up 15 years later, right. met up on J-Date. And, I didn't know the J-Date part. Oh, uh, yeah. No, we met twice. I was going to say, if you met 15 years before J-Date, you were the earliest adopter of J-Date yeah. of all time. <laughs> I know. You actually started J-Date. People say, oh, J-Date, J-Date, I love J-Date. I'm like, oh, J-Date doesn't work. And we're here we are, still married, like, whatever. <laughs> but, um, and I, and I, once we got serious, I said, well, we met each other in J-Date because clearly we're looking for Jews. Jewish partners. Jews. And I said, once we were closing in on engagement. I don't remember if it was before we were engaged, but we knew it, it was coming. It was pending. I said, well, how Jewish do you want to be? Like, mm. we both grew you up... You asked him that? Yeah. I, when I meant it, like, how much of it were you going to bring in our home? Do you want to be kosher? He did not grow up kosher. His grandmother was kosher in her home. Um, I did certainly did not grow up kosher. Um, I said, um, you know, he grew up at Midway, and Midway was more um, oh, right. traditional, old, old yeah, exactly. traditional conservative, not egalitarian. Right. I grew up at Temple Beth Shalom in Rosen, which was pretty much the same. And it's nice to see how that movement has evolved into being a little bit more family friendly. The egalitarian thing, I could take it or leave it. I'm, I'm, I'm personally very traditional. I don't need to do a lot of things that women can do now, but. We're, we can do Let me touch as on that we for wish. A sure. what, what did you say before we started? We said something about your a newfound relationship with the role of Jewish women yeah. in Judaism. Yeah, was, touch on it. Okay. Well, you know, I, I as I was putting up the mechitza that separates men from women. Right. In no, I, I have learned in this you know later part of the journey that you know you know I grew up with a lot of misconceptions about uh, you know what women can and can't. But it really isn't can and can't. It's more like doesn't need to. We don't have a lot of the pressures that men do. You've got to do 613. I have to keep a Jewish home. Right. I mean, I know there's more, there's more than that. Right. <laughs> Believe me, I know there's right. more. But I know, I mean, like that's a tremendous responsibility, which was what, you know, I know that, you know, I had, which is why I asked Ed, how Jewish do you want to be? Because... We're going to be raising children. Right. We didn't know when. We didn't know how. We didn't know how many. So we're going to be raising right. Jewish children. Like, are we going to ram it down their throats? Or are we going to ease up? How how much? It's a delicate dance. It's a del it's right. a delicate dance. Right. And you know, I told him. I said, listen, if you want to keep a kosher home, I'd have to learn. But I, I can if you want to. He's like, just don't bring shellfish and pork in the house. <laughs> do we mix milk and meat? Yeah, we do. But you know what? We have a forgiving God, and <laughs> we can only get better. So what? So how would you like? So you say. So from your perspective, you're saying. Like, for you, you don't feel like I need to do it. So, like, therefore, there's, like, like you kind of, like, settled into your role as a Jewish woman. Would you say it that way? Yeah, I mean... But what I, about a woman who says, like, I want to, like, what's, like, my angle, that, put, that push of that other side? Go like, for it. Like, there's a lot of people who feel like, you know, why don't I get to? I don't... I don't... You don't identify with it. No. It's not... It's... I. If I want to, I will. If I, right. you know... So you're um, there is some, more in your role. I think... But I think there's also something, another additional element, though... And that is, is that there's things that women do that men for sure don't do. So it's like a lot of times people forget all the most nuanced women's quote unquote mitzvahs that aren't public, public Jewish experiences, right. like mikvah, mm -hmm. like family rearing, tzedakah, mm -hmm. even charity, it says is rooted in the I, woman. I get, so I it's get like the... one of those things that like, I feel like that it's not the can and can'ts, it's the like, the can and the cans, like each one has their can. I get the, I get the best one. Yeah, tell me. I get to have kids. I have the kids. That's it. I'm good. 
Oh my goodness. I'm good. Like, I mean, you know, I, somebody once told me years ago, and I don't know if there's truth to this, that, you know, a family should have three children, one to replace, <laughs> one to replace the husband, one to replace the wife, and one to perpetuate. I'm like, well, we're done. <laughs> well, but, it, it but says it, that the way you emulate God is by having children. Right. Like, what other way well, do we God's emulate children, God sure. the most of any mitzvah? Like, you know, I can put on tefillin every day of my life, and that's what God wants. Right. But what does God do? God creates. So a woman having that capacity mainframed in her physical and spiritual psyche, sort of say, to create life is like, that's the most godly thing. And you know, it is very interesting because, you know, as, as you know, I got married later and, you know, when you're at advanced maternal age and things uh, just not, doesn't, doesn't come as quickly as you right, would like. Right. Um, and that's what, you know, was, you know, the most pressing thing. It's like, uh, I've, I've wow. I mean, I wasn't thinking, well, I have to do this. I have to do right. this. It's like, but that's kind of, kind of what I signed up for. So, um, but I also kind of believe and, you know, as a woman, as a Jewish mother and having that responsibility within the household, not that the man doesn't, but it's a diff it's different. It's a different I have to, I really, really strongly feel and over the past couple of years or so that I got, I have to lead by example. Mm. And this is why, you know, some families, maybe more observant families or maybe families that have done it for years and years and years. And that's all, you know, like when I see you do your Havdalah, and your family is around you. My family's not used to that. Right. If I want to light Shabbos candles or do something, um, you know, ceremonially or ceremoniously, I, I'm not sure of the word. Um, spiritually in the house. Spiritually in the house. If I light Shabbos candles, I don't say, okay, guys, come over. You got to stand next to me. It's like right. nobody wants to be forced to do that. But if I do right. it over and over and over right. again, you know, maybe I'll hear them in the next room you know, singing. Right. Um, we, I lit the menorah the other night and the kids were already eating. And I'm like, you know what? It's more important to me that they eat because they never eat. <laughs> and they're <laughs> you've seen them and they're very slim. Right, and right, I'm right. just like, okay. But I was lighting them and they were singing all three, all Beautiful. the prayers. And, and that's fine. And for example, like, you know, you know, I just went to Israel last year and right. Ed just right. came back that's and amazing. I, you know, people ask me, well, don't you want to go as a family? I'm like, sure, eventually we'll go as a family. But it's a huge financial expense. Of course, and, of course. But I also wanted to go by myself. And I went mm -hmm. and I had a lot to bring back. And then Ed went and Ed came back. And all of a sudden, Abigail's sitting there and she goes, well, mommy went and daddy went. She, she goes, I guess I'm next. Oh, and that's, and I was like that's patting my it. back. That's I said, that, that kind of like, you know, sealed right. you know the right. leading by example i don't think she wanted to go before mm -hmm. she didn't feel connected but she sees know. it as like her trajectory in life her pathway right. in life she's and, like mom and dad do this this is what i want to be a part of too they had this amazing experience they didn't talk about they right. share I and, they, and i kept on telling like, her i says you don't have a choice you need to go i'm like <laughs> you have to go you need to go i'd like her to wait a couple of years um i don't want her to necessarily go at 18 she's going to right. have a big transition when she goes to college sure. you know with birthright i mean she'll Correct. go by route of birthright right. or some right. some other travel group absolutely or, and but you know uh, but I want her to kind of, you know, be grounded in what she wants to do. And I don't want to have to her to worry about managing a trip in school and this and that. Right. Birthright's age has gone higher and higher as the years go on. Is that on. really true? I it's think they're close to like the mid to late 20s. Oh, no, they were always 18 to 26, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I thought somebody told me 28 once. It doesn't matter. Really? She's going to wow. go. Yeah, she's going to okay. go. And if I have to sell my son to get her there, <laughs> she'll go. Don't worry, because, you don't have to sell anybody. Because Birthright it's, will it's, take care of both of them. Right, I, you know, she, she knows it's important. Right. And she, you know, and as long as I do that and, 
you know, she's kind of, she's slowly making the connections, which is right. really kind of all. We see her by Chabad House all the time. She yeah. came to our camp during COVID and all yeah. that. And so, you know, and I think she that, goes to Hebrew High School. And, and she you told does me she, that opens way. her up a lot in far as her, like, yeah, you know, think, personal connections and Yiddishkeit. Yeah, and she, she, she gets it. And maybe not right. on a deep level, but I think if, Never you know, the more opportunity. Yeah, well, maybe she does. Although we had this one experience, and it's funny because now Jeremy being two years behind her in school, He's doing the same project in school that she did two years ago. I don't know if I ever told you this story, if you don't mind me oh, sharing. Wait, go ahead. She had a project in social studies where they had a trial of Christopher Columbus and his men and the king and the queen and each group of kids like represented an entity and they had to find out who is responsible for the dis- for the decimation and destruction of the Taino um, Indians. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it was a trial. It was like oh, all wow. these different entities. And I'm like, goodness gracious, oh. the school has changed quite a bit. <laughs> and she was assigned in her group the role of Columbus's men. Oh. I don't know how they classified it, but she was one of Columbus's men. And she's really struggling through the assignment. And she, she all of a sudden, sitting there with Ed, and all of a sudden, she's like, I could see her like heavy breathing and she was getting upset. And it was like, she says, I'm a Jewish woman. I should know. And the persecution and all of a sudden, Columbus's men were Nazis. She made the parallel. And then all of a sudden she said, why does this happen over and over again in history? This was way back in the 1400s and it's still happening. And she says, why does this keep happening? And I said... I said, it keeps happening because people don't stand up and people don't support each other. Mm-hmm. And I said, whenever you see an injustice, whether it be to your people or to somebody else, it is your responsibility as a Jew and as a human being separately or a Jewish human being to stand up and, and support somebody when they, when they need support. Mm-hmm. And on, that was what she could understand at that level. Right. And, you know, now... So your son has that project, too, coming up? Yeah, except he didn't internalize it. He doesn't internalize it. She's a sensitive right, right, soul. Right, right. He's just like, okay, I got to do my assignment and get my A and move right, on. Move on she life. was just really... She's a much more sensitive right. old soul. Wow. So I was... I didn't, Is that more like you or like your husband? I don't want to sell him short. <laughs> I think he's very sensitive, right. but I think we express ourselves very differently. So I'm I'm a lot more open, and he's a lot more reserved. You know, one of the interesting things is it says that something that is like so like deep, and to use like the normal parlance of word, mm-hmm. is something you know is not always expressed. We always think of like something like deep when I feel something, mm-hmm. and I'm passionate about something. I feel it deeply. Mm-hmm. It's not always true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's like superficial not in a bad superficial way we think of superficiality as negative mm. not in a fraudulent way but in a way in which like i feel at least comfortable in this arena to express myself yeah and I so would... sometimes when we have that it doesn't affect us that deeply so like someone who you think of he's you know i i don't know if they'll get it they're getting it but it just can't be expressed it's so right. deep. It could or be they so get deep. it in their it's, own way right it could be so like rooted in them that like they can't even like Put into words, you know, put into action. I've been actually that. saying this phrase ad nauseum a lot. You know, the, the phrase that says teach children according to their way or oh, something like that. And I just feel like, you know, just because somebody doesn't get something on, on your level doesn't mean they're not Absolutely. getting it. I always say don't underestimate the power of the Jewish soul. Right. It was Never funny because I, I even, I even you know, in, in all honesty, even sold my own son short when all of a sudden we're in the car and he goes... Mom, did you hear what Kanye West said about the Jewish people? I'm like, I didn't even know he knew who Kanye West was. 
Okay. Now he does. Now he does. Right. And I said, yeah. I said, I know what he said. I said, and I, I didn't want to, pl- I don't believe in like indoctrinating and planting things in my kids. I like them to come to their own conclusions mm-hmm. and have their own thoughts about things. I, you know, a lot of people think we indoctrinate our kids politically, but we don't. We let them, <laughs> we, uh, we agree about free thinking. And I said, um, I said, well, what did he say? He said, he said really bad things about Jews. I said, yes, he did. What do you think about that? He goes, I'm offended. I said, okay. That was the end of the conversation. But the fact that he knew it was wrong and he didn't just let it go and that he thinks about it really meant a lot, you know? And I said, well, you know, I said, unfortunately, it's a world we live in and not everybody accepts Jewish people the way we would like them to. I said, I don't want you to be frightened and I don't want you to be scared. I said, but you need to be aware of the world around you. And it happens. I mean, we had it up in Sayas. I don't know if you remember the, you know, the graffiti. And I'm like, you know, here we are in a place where we think it's, as I coined the phrase, or maybe not Jew friendly. Right. There are no Jew friendly places. Right. And we have to be aware and alert. And, you know, we have each other Mm. and that's it. Um, So he does feel it very deeply. He does get it. Seemingly, he does really get it. Yeah, I think he does um, in his way. But, you know, Abby being, you know, different, she, oh, she's, she's, she's more like me in that she really kind of internalizes things. And even though something could, something could be blatant or something can be um, one of, like what they call microaggression, right. it stings every time. She gets it. She like feels yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, it's... When they're, you know, you know where I work. I, I work oh, down so the I block. Like, I was about yeah. to change courses here. <laughs> right. Actually, with that, that's a great segue. So tell us about your commute and your relationship. Oh, my commute. And you're like, what do you what do you do for a living? I teach special ed in Brooklyn, um, right down the block from 770 Eastern Parkway. So inner city special education. Yes. You're like a martyr every day. I don't. It's just all I know. I would. I'll be honest with you. Would I do it for free? No, but I'm good at what I do, and and I like it. I know. I know. My mother was a special ed teacher, also, not in inner city, at building blocks in Comac, which doesn't exist anymore. Okay. She was there for many years too, so I understand what it's like a little bit. Yeah. Well, my commute has been harder since I'm here. But your commute also, yeah. I used to live in Kew Garden Hills, so it was like a hop, skip, and a jump. Right. Um, also another religious community. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> yeah, it's much more. It, it, it was when I was there in the 90s, yeah. And, and then, you know, I moved further east. Um, but it's a long commute, especially uh, now that COVID is kind of, it's there, but it's kind of past us. During the couple of years of COVID, the, oh, nobody was great. on the road. It was I glorious. Was, it would let us get in at 7.30 and leave at 2.30. Yeah, I'm like, yay. <laughs> so Leslie works it's like, hard. Right, right by Crown Heights, which is the... Yep. Uh, Home address of Chabad headquarters, 770. That are and your wife right took me there for the first time a couple of years ago. So you were driving in for years and uh-huh. never went in. Never, no, never I've connected. gone into the stores. I've gone into the amazing children's clothing stores. And I would go in to get um, to some of the um, Judaica shops to get scrolls for my um, um, Mrs. Oat. And, and, you know, if I needed a menorah, if I needed a gift, or right. if I had a question, needed to buy a book or something like that, then I was fine. Um, I, I enjoy it. I, you know, or we once, uh, we're not a religious school, but we've had a couple of students who have been Orthodox from the neighborhood and right. we want to go out for pizza. So we would go up the block to Kingston oh, wow. pizza, which is Hi. really good pizza and amazing barracas. The pizza's gotten better <laughs> over the years. Has it? Okay, yeah, there's good. New, there's, <laughs> for you, when I first came to Crown Heights, when I first became religious, the pizza there was like weird at best. <laughs> and now... 
It's great. See, it's excellent. Kosher, I love it too. I, my I'm like, experience, addi- like I'm addicted to it. Like that's the only pizza I know for the last twenty years. So. Kosher pizza out of the oven is really good, but just don't bring it home. Don't you bring it home. <laughs> you got to heat it up in an oven and not a microwave. It's well, like microwave pizza. It's hard. I can never microwave pizza, so that's like no, I would but never. Abby likes any pizza. the pizza that you've brought here when she came to the oh, camp. Oh, right, right. It's good. one of the few things like you oh, know she, she likes pizza, but she that's likes right. pizza from certain places. You're right, but. my kids too. So yeah. So you went. You drove to Ground Heights yep. many years. Still do. Never went to Seven Seventy. No. What was your and Aliza, my wife, brought mm-hmm. you to Seven Seventy? What was your impression? Honestly, it was very humble. I expected to be more like palatial and ornate, and it was very mm. humble. Like a regal setting of some sort. Yeah, state. I don't know what I expected to walk into, like the Taj Mahal. I thought, <laughs> you know, right. and I was like, okay, well, this is nice. I'm like, okay, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? Right. And you know, she showed me, and it was it was very humbling. And that's right. kind of, I kind of like that. It's less intimidating. Right. I didn't feel uncomfortable walking in. There's very, you know, I mean, people weren't like, "Welcome," and "Can I get you something?" I didn't expect that, but. <laughs> You know, I mean, I could, nobody flinched that I walked in in pants. You know, right. I asked before I walk in. I try to be respectful when I go someplace. It's not, you know, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, I think it was shortly after that. Remember I had told you I had read that book, Rebbe, by yes. Solushkin, yes. and, I, and it's amazing. And like I yes. said, the biggest take I got from that book was that there's no distinction of holiness between the different sects of Judaism. Absolutely. So a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. 100%. So you know, it wouldn't make any sense for me to not feel welcome there. Right. I mean, you can only go up. I mean, you can go down, but why would I? I mean, right. well, clearly I'm walking in there. You're going up. I'm going up, you're gonna, you you're know. Going, up. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, I couldn't necessarily understand everything that was going on, but I could go in there and sit there with my own, either with my phone and read a prayer off my phone or sure. my own book, and That's I have a bunch of, you know, and it's just, it's fine, That's you so know. beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's... Just to feel comfortable in that setting is like just an unbelievable thing because it is chaotic. It can be intimidating. Maybe right. that's what kept me there. Maybe I didn't have a need. Maybe, like I said, we go, we ebb and flow. And, and you know, like I said, the, you know, the more of an, I mean, my kids didn't see me walk in there. And my husband certainly didn't see me walk in there. But I'm like, I'm here. Why am I not going in? Right. I didn't expect any, like, you know, like. You know, reception. Yeah, <laughs> no, I just like, okay, you know, this is nice and I learn more and I'm kind of enjoying just like, even if I don't practice the way um, Orthodox or Lubavitch's do, I, I understand more. And like I said, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about things that I can, go, oh, okay, that's why this is this way. Right. That's why. And I just feel a little bit, for lack of a better term, arms with knowledge, mm. you know, and people it. say, you know, they talk about separating men and women and and they're like oh that's why can't women sit with men and and i said like hold up hold up this is not oppressive i said i don't feel oppressed i said um i said when you go to pray you're connecting with god you're not connecting with man right i mean you you are but you're not i'm like you you, to have the I, i mean if I don't have an issue with it because what I'm used to, but when you go to shul, you see a lot of interpersonal stuff and people aren't necessarily focused. Right. I'm not saying it's, like I said, it's not right or wrong. I mean, when my kids go to shul, they're either falling asleep or whatever, <laughs> but they're there. Right. They're there. Right. And I, I, will, I will never forget this one moment. Like, you know, and little kids can't sit whether they, you know, have attention if, issues or not. And if they're not reading the Hebrew yet and they're not there in their studies. I remember when, when my son was little, he couldn't sit. So I, I, he would bring a book, and one time I forgot, and I brought a, a coloring book or, or a puzzle book, and one of the men comes over and says, you know, you're not supposed to use a pencil on Shabbos. Where was this? At my shul. Yeah. Oh, at Midway. Yeah, and I said, <laughs> and I said, and I'm like, 
And in my head, I'm like, okay, I get that, but he's seven, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I, looked, I didn't know this policeman. Well, they called him ushers guess, or whatever, yeah. and I walked, I looked at him, and I said, well, it's a good thing our God is a forgiving God, and I turned around, and I let him color. And it's like, you know... It's an can, interesting thing that, like, the uh, in, in 770, you see, like, kids jump over the benches, right. and you have Torah books all over and so it's like one of the things is it's like the kids should feel comfortable around the books. Right. Like if they step on the book, no one's policing them. Right. It's interesting. You'd think like in an Orthodox school, it would be much more policed and regimented and ushers. Now it's just exposure. Seven, seven, no, it's, it's full exposure. Full, like, and, and full just, connection, tactile experience. Like it's like it's almost like being like a mosh pit, you know, like you're kind right, of like, exactly. like each man for themselves and we all love each other even if we bump into I, each other or I step on it, the book or whatever. I'm guessing it was this person's Mishigas. I wouldn't say it was that way for the entire right, movement. Right, there's okay, been plenty okay. of times and I've been there. I'm I like, just remember ushers from my reform temple and that was like, oh my goodness. It's like, shh. Like shush, yeah, no, it's just, police, you know, and, and here's the thing: it's like I don't think we're in a position to alienate families, no matter what, oh, no matter what wow. sect you're That's in. Right. You, I said, you, I said, if you like, I could take the pencil away, and then you'll have more of a reason to ush your usherance. <laughs> now, I mean, it's just like right. you know, it's so. Think about that. I mean, right. I don't know if this person has ever been a parent, but it's like you know. You do what you have to do. I said, he's not taken out a phone. I said, worry about the kid that's got the phone. Worry about the mom with this one. Worry about the noise. He's sitting there quietly. There's a great metaphor of 770. There was one time a very big, famous Orthodox rabbi, not Chabad, not Mm -hmm. Hasidic. And he came to have a private meeting with the Rebbe. And before he had the meeting, he went downstairs to 770 to the big main Mm -hmm. shul. And he sees what's going on. He said, it's like crazy. It's like, it does look it, like a mushroom. It's like, it's crazy. It's like, it's like, it, it, like he, it was just way before grunge. And he's like, this guy's jumping over the benches. Some people are diving mincha. Some people are diving chakras still. Some people are uh, all, over, everyone's all over the place. And they're there and everyone's chaotic. So he says to them, they're like, you know, what's with decorum? You know, in a lot of Orthodox places, it's not like 770. Very, it is more palatial maybe, and it is cleaner, and oh, it is more... Five towns. For sure, if it exists. But sure. 770 is for sure very humble and very chaotic. So he said to the Rebbe, he expressed his displeasure with the scene he saw before his eyes. And the Rebbe says, when you go to a boiler room of a ship, it's chaotic. There's people putting fire, there's people pouring water, there's people stoking the coals, there's people covered in soot. It's like there's the heart, oil, yeah. The heart, the movement of the ship. Mm-hmm. And no one sees it. He's like, this is the boiler room of the world. The Rebbe mm-hmm. said 770 is the boiler room of the world. It makes the world go. Right. And so it looks like a boiler room. You have like, you know, women in pants coming to Orthodox shuls and no one, no one bats an eye. Oh, there and you have a, I never. I know. I first worked in the 770 with, you know, hair down to almost my waist. And like, and no one, no, everyone's like, oh, you want a seat? Oh, it's Well, fine. that's, that's what I'm no, saying. It's no, like, it's very welcoming. There's no judgment, right? Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, hard. There's great it, energy too. It's a little it? bit, it's a little bit looser now. Um, and you know, there might be, reason, you know, uh, different reasons for it. Um, I think when when things are really tight, um, it's, you know, for, right. for a secular Jew, it's kind yeah. of, it, it can be intimidating. But 770 was like that in like the 50s. Yeah. So like, you know, like that's when everyone thought of like Orthodox Judaism. I, so I grew up when so I... So Chabad's I, always been that way. I've it's never, it's not a new thing. I would never even think about wearing pants to shul in yeah. the 80s. Right. Ever. But, now but they, you but, know what? But it's, you know, what's one of the things that's a testament to Chabad is that you see that, 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 you know, hands-off approach, but also simultaneously embrace the power of the soul. That's like what's winning right now. That's what's like going on right now. Is yeah. it saying like, you come as you are, because we don't, 
we don't we will never underestimate the power of your soul. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna get it at some point. Well, yeah. And even that those moments are beautiful. Those moments are like what we, that's what that's what we live for. Like it's remember, those Jewish moments. When I when I went to Israel and I was saying that I was going with the group and a lot of the groups that you know support the. Um, the people are Orthodox groups. I'm like, oh, you're going to come back Orthodox. I'm like, no. I said, that's not the goal. The goal is to just Rough. be a little bit better mm-hmm. than you are now. Or more. Not better, but more. More. And I'm like, well, if I if I like candles, that's good. And if I do you say like my... Do uh, I did more when I was home during COVID, in right. all honesty. But yeah. I do, I'm you know, sorry. when I remember, I do say my mode de ani. I do more. I, did a, I do a lot more now than I did five, six years ago. Beautiful. So that's good for me. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. We'll end it right there. Leslie, you're amazing. Thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for having me. It's amazing. So uh, our second of Chabad House Conversations podcast is in the books. And Leslie was an amazing guest. Uh, If you'd like to appear on Chabad House Conversations, please feel free to uh, connect with me, social media or email. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, have a happy, happy Hanukkah. And again, thank you so much to Leslie for uh, giving of your time and energy and uh, telling us your amazing story of Jewish life. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you.